Girlfriends, episode number 326, Every Kind of Saint with Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week I am talking with a guest author Meg Hunter Kilmer about her new book about every kind of saint. There is one in here for you. I guarantee it. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriend, welcome to the newest episode of the podcast. So glad you are joining me here. Before we dive into this week's topic with our special guest author, Meg Hunter-Kilmer, who is author of Pray For Us, which is a gorgeous book of just a real, a really expansive look at all the different kinds of saints and some little known ones. She's just, uh, she's on fire. She is such a fantastic researcher, such a smart woman, and I just love her heart for the church and for all people. So I can't wait to share that conversation with you. But before we dive into that, I wanted to mention, because I've been hearing from some of you who are doing some summer book clubs, I wanted to mention that there are companion journals available for my books. If you are interested in getting a companion journal for You Are Enough, that is one of my most popular books ever, especially for women's groups, which is a look at women in the Old Testament. Um, So that one has a companion journal, which is really helpful for going through with your girlfriends, going through on your own. If you're doing this with your women's group at your church, or if you have a summer book club, just email me, danielle at daniellebean.com, and I will be glad to send you that PDF absolutely for free. Also, my book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, also has a companion journal that is available for it. Um, Those two are available through Ascension, but also my books that with Ave Maria Press, which is my book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go. That has a companion journal that's available on the Ave Maria Press website. You don't have to pay for it. It's completely for free. You just add it to your cart and check out and you'll get the download that way. And then my book, You're Worth It, which was published through Beacon, which is no longer publishing. So it's a little bit tricky and a little bit dicey. I've been hearing from people having trouble getting their copies of that. Still available in hardcover, but it's really hard to find the soft cover of that. So anyway, if you are interested in doing a book club with that particular book, I also have a journal that's available for that, that I use with my retreats that I do based on that book. That book is looking at women in the New Testament. So looking at stories of women in the New Testament and what we can learn about God's unique love for women based on that and our unique approach to our relationship with God based on these stories of women in the Bible. So You Are Enough is women in the Old Testament, and You're Worth It is women in the New Testament. This is, These are just themes that we love as women, right? Looking at these stories, these Bible stories of women, and finding out what we can learn from these timeless stories that there are some things that are very different, but then there are some things that just don't change our stories and our struggles and our challenges, our joys and our triumphs. They're unique to each of us, but then there are many things that we have in common with women throughout history. So really enjoy looking at those themes together with other women. So if that's you and you want to do a book club based on one of these books, reach out to me. You can send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com, and I will be glad to connect you with the resource that you want absolutely for free. All right. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. I love Meg. She's a repeat guest here on Girlfriends. And that's for a good reason. It's because she's amazing. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Take a listen. 
Joining me here today is a repeat guest here on Girlfriends, Meg Hunter-Kilmer. So Meg is an itinerant missionary and storyteller who travels the world telling people about the fierce and tender love of God. She's a fellow of the Sullivan Family Saints Initiative in the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the author of two books about the saints, Saints Around the World, an international saint storybook for children, and Pray for Us, 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled on Their Way to Holiness. When she's not obsessively Googling obscure saints, trying to convince people to read scripture, or driving appalling distances while listening to audiobooks on double speed. She loves watching the Olympics and spending time with her nieces, nephews, and godchildren. Meg Hunter-Kilmer, welcome to Girlfriends. Welcome back to Girlfriends. I'm so happy you're here. I know. I'm excited to be here too. Yes. So you were on before, and we talked then about your children's book, which is um, the one that we mentioned in your bio there, uh, Saints Around the World. But this one is kind of like a grown-up version, a similar one, which is newly out from Ave Maria Press, Pray for Us, 75 Saints Who Sinned, Suffered, and Struggled on Their Way to Holiness. But before we dive into that book, which I do want to talk to you all about, in case anybody missed your previous interview, you have to describe yourself as this hobo for Christ, because this is what kills people. People are like, who is this person who does this crazy thing? Can you just give us a little bit of that background? Yeah. So I'm a missionary. I live out of my car. Um, I used to be a regular person with like a house and a job. Um, and 10 years ago, Danielle, it has been 10 years next month mm -hmm, and moved into my car thinking I was going to spend two months driving around the country (laughs) and Jesus was like, cute, keep going. Uh, so for the last 10 years I've been living out of my car. Um, I used to be able to say everything I own is in my car, but now it's all full of books. So I have like things I own in various houses around the country where I like dump it out because I'm like, I need more room for my books. I don't. It's time for a pit stop to dump all the books out. Yeah, exactly. And so now, now I've got these two books loading down my Corolla, which is dragging a little bit, but we are doing the best we can. So I've been to 50 states and 25 countries, driven about 310,000 miles, just going around telling people about Jesus. That's crazy. I cannot believe really it's been is. 10 years. Like, I, I still I still feel like when I, I first ever bumped into you on, on, online, you're like this little bitty baby out there doing this, this new stuff. And I was so excited for you. But that was that was just yesterday, yeah. I thought. But no, no uh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and look what it's turned into like right? this, this kind of speaking career that you have this ministry that you have, all the different ways that you're involved in academia. But Writing books, I think, is really the the heart of what you do so well. So let's talk about this one that's for grownups, the grown-up version of Saints Around the World, Mm -hmm. which is Pray for Us from Ave Maria. How did this book come to be? So I was not always into the saints because I had always heard their stories told so badly. You know, it was just (laughs) this like list of disconnected accomplishments. There was no humanity. Nobody was telling me about the struggles or about the passions. It was just like, this is the date he was confirmed. And I was like, I don't know why I could care about this. And I I think also the way that I at least was hearing the stories, I don't know if that's how they were being told, but the way that I was Mm -hmm. hearing them, it just sounded like sainthood was for a very specific type of person. And that person was not me. It was somebody who was sweet and placid and quiet. And I was like, I cannot be that girl, you know? And I tried for like six weeks and it was <laughs> incredibly volatile. I just like And you were dying inside. I really yeah. was, exactly. Um, and then I got to know the incredible diversity that there actually is within the communion of saints and these wild and exciting stories. And also these people who had incredible struggles and people who had enormous personalities and people who were brilliant and people who were the opposite and just began to see 
how much the lives of the saints give us permission to be loved by God. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's that's the whole point of being a missionary, of being a Christian, is to invite people in to that relationship with Jesus. And so often we have this list of things that we think disqualifies us, you know? Like right. for me, it was that I was too loud, I was too intense, I was too emotional. For a lot of people, it's their family circumstances or their addiction or their mental health or their chronic mm-hmm. illness or their race or their sexuality, you know, all of these different things where they're like, well, God can't want me because, and the saints just are a list in front of us that are like, no, this is what it looks like when God puts a halo on that. So I, I started, that. I started researching them. Um, I was writing at Alatea for a long while. Uh, and I, people would be like, oh, do you have any good saint resources? And I have two books by Ann Ball that I really like. And other than that, I was like, okay, go to Alatea and search for my name and then click on it and then scroll back to 2017. And I was like, well, that's just ridiculous. (laughs) Like I have to write a book just because nobody is going to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. So pray for us really started as a compilation of those stories. And then I wrote probably about 40 more um, to add to Mm -hmm. that about servants of God, venerables, blessed and saints, mostly people that nobody's ever heard of. So even if you've read saints around the world, um, you're still probably going to have maybe 60, 65 people in here that you've never heard of uh, and trying to cover all of these different elements of life that that we think keep us from the love of God. And sometimes it's really good things like you're a brilliant scientist and so you think you can't be a Christian or you're a brilliant musician and so you think that your priority can't be Jesus. And to see these saints who managed to do both and recognizing the Lord says, I didn't screw up when I made you. Like I just really <laughs> That's so didn't. encouraging. Exactly. Yeah. I think so many people have that inner dialogue. I think we can all relate to that on some level. Like, okay, the saints are these kinds of people and I'm this kind of person. So I'm limited, right? But I, that's what I that's what I love about this book. And I loved it about the children's book as well, that it's letting you know that we, you don't get out, you don't get out of this. Like we are all called yeah. to be saints and there's no excuse there that you can fill in. Like you said, God didn't mess up when he made you in the unique way that he made you. But, you know, we do kind of have these stereotypes like, and and, and part of it with me, like, especially growing up is like, look at the, look at these, the statues of the saints, which are you mm-hmm. know, so inspiring, but they're all like, you know, the placid expression on their face and their hands are folded and they're gazing into the heavens and like, that was never me or I couldn't hold that pose for very long. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, but I live in the real world where life is messy and I've got this for a brother-in-law and I've got this for a job and like trying to figure out those things in our circumstances. I think it'd be really encouraging to look at some of the, you know, the crazy different ways that God has called people to holiness. So let's talk about some of the specifics because over the years, I think this was probably when you were writing at Alatea that I would I was following you on Twitter and all of a sudden you'd have like this thread where it's like all about this crazy, obscure saint. And I was always fascinated to read these details like, okay, this person who did these crazy things or had these crazy challenges or crazy circumstances is like on their way to sainthood or is a saint. Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe share an example or two from the book. What are some of your favorites? Oh my gosh, they're all my favorites. Um, that's not true. There's a handful in here where I'm like, I don't know why God wanted them in the book, but it <laughs> seems are. like the right thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I think that there, there are so many who, who really speak into, into the feeling where you're like, I just, I need a friend to walk mm. alongside me in this, you know, like not just, I need the awareness that this person exists, but like, I need, I need this person to be a friend to me. Right. Um, and 
I think for a lot of people, St. Mark Ji Tianxiang has is is just a real gift. He was an opium addict. Um, not used to be an opium addict. He was an opium addict when he died. He wow. was an opium addict for 30 years and died living with that addiction. Um, and wow. what he, so he was a Chinese man living in uh, the 19th century. He was born to a Christian family. He grew up Catholic and um, became a doctor and he was serving the poor for free and making his mother proud, you know, like a little bit of a combination of some Western medicine and some yeah. like acupuncture and stuff. Just like really cool guy one of the pillars of the Christian community, but he got a stomach ailment and he treated himself with laudanum, which is a totally typical treatment for that mm-hmm. kind of ailment. Um, and as we've seen so much in our country in the last few right. decades, he became addicted and he kept going back to confession. And finally the priest, God rest his soul, who did not understand addiction and did not understand confession said, you keep doing the same thing. You're obviously not sorry. Oh. Don't come back until you're clean. Wow. So like, even if you're not dealing with addiction, so many of us have had an experience like that in the confessional, not that specifically. Like going back and saying that same stupid thing. Yes. Or, <laughs> or having a priest who's just like entirely uncompassionate, you know, or somebody yes, who's just like a bad a representative of the church who just says the wrong thing in that mm-hmm. moment. And sometimes it really is grievously wrong. And sometimes it's just like not a thing that our heart can handle. Right. And they ne- right. didn't necessarily do something evil. But this priest like right. should have known better because like, right. sure, you don't understand addiction. It's the 19th century. Nobody understands addiction. But like, sure, the whole point of confession is that you have to want to be better, but not that you're right. like, okay, well, I finally got this one conquered because I'm amazing yeah. and I'm going to power through this. You know, <laughs> like it's about right. weakness and mercy and grace. And mm-hmm. I, so it would have been so easy for Tian Chang just to be like, I'm, a, I'm done. Like I'm out. I don't, right. I don't need this anymore. Like I don't have to be Catholic. It's fine. But he knew who Jesus was and he knew who he was in Jesus. And he was like, if this is what the priest has said, then this is what the priest has said. But this mm-hmm. is still my church and this is still my God. And for 30 years, he showed up. Wow. And he stayed away from the sacraments because he had been told he couldn't receive. So again, for those of us who might be in irregular marriages and not able to receive communion for that reason, to have this friend who sits with you and is like, it's awful. But this is still my God, and this is still my church, and I'm not going anywhere. And for 30 years, he prayed that he would die a martyr. And then in the Boxer Rebellion in 1900, the rebels were going around and rounding up the Christians. And I'm sure that his neighbors were like, that guy, please. Like, come on. That guy can't Mm -hmm. go six hours without a hit. He's not going to stay strong for Jesus. But he went with his children and his grandchildren. And as they were being taken away, his grandson said, Grandpa, where are they taking us? And he said, baby, they're taking us home. And then he asked his captors one favor. He said, I ask that you kill me last. I don't want anybody in my family to die alone. Oh my God. And he went with each one of them to their death. And then he went to his death singing the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary, an opium addict and a canonized saint, because nothing is too big for God's mercy. Oh. I love that story. That is so powerful. That is so relevant in so many ways Mm -hmm. to our world today. Like you said, being separated from the sacraments, showing up anyway the the opioid addictions that you know are destroying our country or you know, i'm sure everybody listening knows somebody mm-hmm. or is close to somebody or is somebody mm-hmm. who struggled or is struggling with exactly that what a beautiful gift like and and so i'm i'm reading these these stories in your book and thinking why did I never, like, why haven't these saints been highlighted? Mm-hmm. Do you have a theory about that? Like, why did you have to go scrounging to find them? <laughs> um, So 
I mean, I think it kind of depends on the saint, right? Like some of them, mm-hmm. it's because we are uncomfortable with talking about that brokenness when it's not like extreme, you know, like mm-hmm. St. Olga of Kiev was a mass murderer and then she got baptized and then she was holy. And we're like, oh, we can right. handle that. But yeah. when it's, she was good and then, you know, St. Mary of Edessa, who was a hermitess and then experienced clerical sexual abuse and blamed herself for her abuse mm-hmm. and then became a prostitute. And you're like, oh, that's, like, that just makes me a little bit that's nervous about what might happen yeah. to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of these stories, it's because we have sort of filled our stained glass windows with Europeans mm-hmm. and with European nuns and bishops. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a certain kind <laughs> who just look, they match all the others in the stained glass window. And some of that is not anybody's fault. Like if you're building a German Catholic church in 19th century Pennsylvania, there's no reason that you would think, gosh, I wonder if there are any Japanese people who would go in this window, right? Because <laughs> Nowadays though, people but, might. But I, now I you think. absolutely should. You absolutely yeah. should right now. Um, and so I think we're right. kind of like digging out from a very a very regional and ethnic understanding of the church where you were like, well, I'm Italian. So my saints are Italian, which like, you know, makes a lot of sense because they're like you and they're from your culture. But especially in the United States, like this is such a universal culture now. And so to Mm -hmm. go, you have to really go looking for the saints that aren't the old standards. Um, And Mm -hmm. then once you find them, you're like, oh my gosh, these people are amazing. But I think a lot of, a lot of the work that I do is representation cultural and ethnic and racial representation, but also different disabilities and different family types, because I I don't think most people are like deliberately not telling these stories. They just haven't heard them and they're not looking for them. And so I go out and I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, what saints do we have who were fat? Because that's a really important thing for people to know that holiness can look like a very large body, even though all the stained glass windows are a size four. (laughs) And then, right. And then once you look for them, you find these amazing stories. You know, I'm not. Okay, like, let's hear about one of them then. Because well, somebody listening is like, okay, tell me, because yes, I don't know any. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a whole list. You can it, you search on Alatea for my name and uh, John the 23rd. You'll find, you'll find okay. a whole list. Um, so, my, I really love uh, St. Laura Montoya, who was mm-hmm. Colombian. And um, she she just had a difficult family life growing up. Her father died and her mother like couldn't really handle parenting. So she was sent to live with her grandparents and her grandparents just, maybe they loved her in her own way, but they Mm -hmm. certainly didn't give her any experience of being loved. And so she just felt very unwanted. And I mean, so many people are living in that circumstance, whether it's through like a foster care situation as a child or through like being passed around from one family member to another, or just like as an adult feeling like I don't fit anywhere. Nobody really wants Mm -hmm. me. And eventually they kind of gave up on her and they sent her to an orphanage, even though she had like quite a few living relatives and you know, in the orphanage, she feels unrooted. And then she gets set, she gets like a scholarship to this fancy school, but at the fancy school, everybody knows that she's the orphanage charity case. So again, her whole life is just about feeling like she doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually she grew up and she felt like she wanted to be a nun. She was like this big, loud personality. And so she was going to be cloistered and like, that's, you can be big and loud and also be cloistered. Like that's not a, that's not a way that we discern <laughs> our way out of, um, of contemplative religious life. But she just felt like God was saying no, n- no to that. And then she encountered the indigenous people of Colombia and she was like, oh my gosh these people need a mother. 
just like I needed a mother. And she saw the way they were treated like refuse. She saw the way that they were ignored and unwanted and unloved by the dominant culture in that area. And she was like, I know what this is like. Mm-hmm. I know how this felt. And I refuse to allow these people to be robbed of the love of God because they're being treated like they're subhuman. And she got a lot of flack from the people around her, first of all, because she's going out and working with indigenous people at a time when everybody was just like overtly racist all the time. Right. And second of all, because she was like, we don't need a priest to go out and serve these people. And everyone was like, whoa, mm-hmm. nope. Like, are you a man hater? <laughs> like, no joke. They accused her of being a man hater because no. she was like, she was like, we're not going to celebrate mass, but like we can go and teach school. We can go and live right. with these people. And she went, you know, she started a religious community and she brought these women out and they lived as the people they were serving lived. And they weren't like, oh. we're here to teach you Western ideals of food and of sleeping habits and all of this stuff, which is often a thing that happens with missionaries, that they sure. they bring not only the gospel, they also bring their own cultural expectations of human flourishing, which is not right. The, like the two aren't like, <laughs> um, and she was one who she was like, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how to be a descendant of the Spaniards, right? Like I'm right. here to love right. you. And she, you can find photographs of her. She was a very large woman um, and uh, lived out there for years. And then eventually had a stroke, ended up in a wheelchair for the last nine years of her life, just hits on a lot of these different difficulties that mm-hmm. that we can have. But I, I just love that for her, the incredible and important work that she did was rooted in her woundedness, right? And, yeah. and at a certain point in her life, she was able to say, oh, God allowed this because he was turning it into a gift. And that's, that's so one thing that that is so helpful for me with the saints because I am sitting there in the midst of my suffering and I'm like, this is only just ugly. And it might be only just ugly, but God Mm -hmm. can work all things for good. And I look at St. Mark Chi Tianxiang and I think, you know, maybe if God had set him free from his addiction, he would then have just lived a complacent life such that when the boxers came, he would have been like, oh, I don't know about this. But instead, he spent 30 years fighting to love Jesus in the midst of awful circumstances. And so in the Mm -hmm. end, he had that strength because of the brokenness that the Lord had allowed him to endure, right? And so many of these saints, you see that. And so you begin to look at your own life and you say, well, it's not the same, but I see how Mm -hmm. God has done this in the past. And so I trust that this could actually be the part of my story that a hundred years from now people say, isn't God incredible? Like this, that's so ugly right now, people will look back on and say, look what God was doing that whole time. The way that we do with St. Laura Montoya, the way that we do with St. Mark Chanchang. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so encouraging Mm -hmm. because I think that's, that's what, that's the reminder I continually need is that like, because we know our own messiness, all of us, right? We know that more than anything, mm-hmm. right? And we, it could, the temptation can be to focus on that and be discouraged. And yet I often find myself, you know, tempted to be discouraged, but then reminding myself like, God, God called all these people anyway, mm-hmm. right? That anyway, right? we need to add that. He calls us anyway, in spite of that. And that so much greater can his glory be if he uses these flawed instruments and these flawed circumstances to bring us to holiness, to bring us to conversion, to, to help us to help other people through that example and through that process. So what a beautiful example, like all of these examples in your book are so inspiring to just look through. I mean, I can't believe the amount of work 
that it must have taken to just pull all of these together. Is is there one in particular that you're getting more feedback on? Like, what are people, what kind of feedback are you getting from people mm, on it? That's a good question. I feel like one of the things that's so beautiful about the way the Lord is using this book is it's just, it's different for everybody. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite things is when there's somebody that I'm not that into, where I was just like, I guess I have to put this thing in. And people come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I love this one so much. And I'm like, well, thank God, because I didn't really know. That's why he's in there. I didn't know right? what the Lord was doing there, but I was trusting. <laughs> I was trusting that he was working. Um, Mark Chi Tian Shang gets a lot of love. Uh, Cyprian mm-hmm. and Daphros Rugamba, I think, are really, really healing for a lot of people. They had, they were a Rwandan couple in the 20th mm-hmm. century, and they just had the world's worst marriage. Like, just absolutely awful. And, it, like, a lot of times when a marriage is terrible, the fault is on both sides. It really does seem like it was just Cyprian's fault. <laughs> so he had been a seminarian in the 60s and had lost his faith at seminary and seen some mm-hmm. scandalous things and heard some really bad theology. And he left the seminary and was engaged to a woman named Zaverina. And then she was killed. And that mm-hmm. was sort of the, the last straw for him. He was like, a good God would not allow this. And so he yeah. became sort of an atheist and sort of enraged at God, which sometimes even those those things are intellectually contradictory. They do go hand in hand. Yes. Uh, yes. But he had an obligation to her family, to Xavier and his family. And so he married her cousin, Daphros. And Daphros was a rosary praying, Eucharist receiving Catholic. And mm-hmm. it was just, there was, it was such a point of strife and contention in their marriage. And Cyprian was just, he was a brilliant man. He was a composer and a choreographer. He was leading this Rwandan cultural renaissance in the wake of colonialism after their colonial power had withdrawn. He was like, well, what, who are we as a culture? Just doing beautiful work. But he was also, he was awful. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so they, they lost their first baby to miscarriage, which again is such a such a blow to them and such a gift to us to have mm-hmm. St. Friends who can walk through that with us. Um, and their right. second child was born healthy. And when the baby was eight months old, Cyprian accused Daphros of witchcraft and kicked her out of the house and kept the baby. Oh my gosh. So now oh. like she's still grieving the first baby that she lost. And now she's losing this baby as well. And there's like this shadow over her reputation. And I mean, just oh. like culturally what that does to your family. It's, right. it's just awful. And his family was like encouraging her in that. So if you've got bad in-laws, you know, they're probably uh-huh. at least not telling your husband to steal your children and accuse you of witchcraft and maybe get you <laughs> no, killed. Um, eventually he gets over it and like brings her back and – I mean, that's a situation where I think the church would say, you you don't have to go back, especially because Cyprian was, he was unfaithful. The two ended up right. having 10 children together. Cyprian had 11 children. Oh, my word. And it's hard telling these stories because you want to be very clear. Daphros did not have to stay when he was mm-hmm. adulterous. She, right. It doesn't seem that he was physically abusive. She should have left if he was physically abusive, right? Like the right. church wants to keep people safe, women and men. Right. We want to keep children safe. But it seems that he was mostly just a jerk to her, right? Like she had a baby one time. He came to the hospital room and broke the crucifix on the ground. Wow. Right? Like just mean. Wow. Just yeah. mean. But she she felt that God was calling her to offer it all for him and to pray for him. And again, if this is a situation that you are going through, please seek counseling. Talk to somebody mm-hmm. outside the situation. The church does not want you to stay in an abusive marriage at 
all. But for Daffros, it was really mostly just like Cyprian being ugly. And she felt like God was asking Mm -hmm. her to stay. So she stayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for him. And eventually he became really, really sick and had sort of a miraculous healing and a miraculous conversion at the same time and realized that she was the only one who'd stood by him, that she had poured out so much love on him. And Danielle, it's amazing because when you look at photographs of these two, she is looking at him like the sun rises and sets on this man. Oh, man. Healing in their marriage. And not just her ability to forgive him, but his ability to receive it and not just to hang his head the rest of his life and be like, I can't believe I did all those things to you. There was just this real rebirth in their marriage. And they end up starting this this like spiritual renaissance in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And they founded a, a division of a Catholic lay movement there, which is now the second largest in the world. And just really were bringing people into the heart of Jesus in their community. Mm. But Cyprian also was working against ethnic divisions in Rwanda in the 1990s. And he had gone to the president and said, we need to remove ethnic identifiers from ID cards because we're reaching this boiling point here. And it's going to be dangerous for people to have their Hutu, Tutsi, or Twa ethnicity on their ID cards. And in doing that, he basically signed his death warrant. So the president of Rwanda was shot down on April 6th uh, and by 2 or 3 a.m. on April 7th, armed men had broken into the home of the Rugambas uh, where they were, they were in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. And first they oh shot the goodness. tabernacle and then they shot them and they had seven children who were there with them that day. And one of the children survived and everybody else died. Unbelievable. And it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking, right? It's horrific. Yeah. But what a gift to the people of Rwanda, that their first saints are going to be people whose life was defined by offering and receiving mercy. That in Mm -hmm. the wake of this genocide, what Rwandan holiness looks like is offering mercy, receiving mercy, accountability, right? Making reparations. That's that's the image that they present. And and I think they're, they're such a blessing to people who are in difficult marriages, offering that hope. Um, or to people who have had a hard time forgiving, right? To look at Daffros and be like, mm-hmm. it's possible. It's possible yeah. to love my husband like this. I also really love pictures of them because you've got pictures of Daffros with natural hair, right? Like a big old afro. <laughs> There's one picture where she's wearing a spaghetti strap top because modesty is contingent on culture, right? right. And in their culture, that's not in any way immodest. And in other cultures, right. like if you're in Saudi Arabia, obviously it would be. And so just sort of seeing like the breadth of of what human culture can look like in the saints Mm -hmm. and being able to say, this is good, right? Like these authentic expressions of humanity are good and they can be, they can be elevated by the gospel. But, but broadly speaking, we don't have to go into a culture and say, well, everything about, I mean, not broadly speaking, we don't go in and say everything about you is bad, right? Like we don't do (laughs) that. Right. Exactly. The church from the very beginning has engaged with the nations of the world and said, well, this thing you do is really good and beautiful. Let's use that as a part of our liturgy, you know, like wow, the Jews didn't have statues of the saints. Like we took that idea from pagans. <laughs> right. And we're right. all good with it now. So yes. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Meg, I could just sit and have you tell me <laughs> saint stories all day long. <laughs> I find this so encouraging and edifying because 
everybody can relate to that. Or there might be, you know, someone who's going through a hard time in their marriage and, you know, just knowing that someone uh, went through a much harder time for years and years and years, you know. Um, But like you said, being careful about how we tell these stories that we're not telling people, you know, that you must stay or, you know, any of those things. Like, you're right. I think you need to be reminding people of that importance of, you know, receiving counseling and um, getting the help that you need. But what an encouraging thing it is to know that God knows all about the mess that you are sitting in right now. And he is inviting you anyway. Mm -hmm. He's inviting you. He's reaching out his hand to invite you. And it's a much longer story than what you see in that one little, one little page of that one little chapter that you're looking at right there that feels so discouraging. So, oh my gosh, I am such a fan of all of these stories. So what are you doing? So you're, you're speaking um, on these, on these topics. Um, Are you doing anything like encouraging groups to come together to talk about it? Do you have any kind of companion resources or what's going on? Yeah. So I, I did a Lenten book club. Um, So there's a discussion guide. If you go on Ave Maria's website or um, Mm -hmm. my website is piercedhands.com. And I think it's my most recent blog post because usually I remember I have a blog like every eight months or so. Um, (laughs) You know how it is. I do. So so you've got discussion questions, but honestly, I didn't initially write discussion questions. So I was like, it's just easy. Just be like, what cool things did you see in this chapter? Right. Um, So I went through and I put some in just to be like, to draw out specific things from each saint. Uh, But I think it's a book that really lends itself well to discussion just because, you know, like just to look at the one headline and be like, okay, what, what is the deal with this satanic high priest? You know, like how, how did that happen to that guy? And what is even going on there? Or, or to say, gosh, I so like this story so much resonated with me, you know, hearing about this, this Hmong man who just felt rejected by the church and felt unloved and was treated like he had nothing to offer and was willing to say, God is bigger than this. And I, mm-hmm. the St. Paul Taoshang, or blessed Paul Taoshang, sorry, who ended up offering his life just to die with one of the Italian priests who was like part of this group of men who had treated him like there was something wrong with him when he right. had been such a successful evangelist. And to be able to say, you know what, like I've actually had a similar experience in the church where I was doing this great work and somebody was jealous and it was, you know, it was used in this way. And it's really encouraging to me to be able to see that it's possible to be faithful, but also feel these feelings. Right. You know, and yes. And that's one thing that I love about diving into the reality of these saints is Mm -hmm. so often the feelings are whitewashed out of the stories. And, and I want to look at them and I want to say this guy, like he was this incredibly successful evangelist and they were suspicious of him probably partially because of clericalism and partially because of racism, he, partially because of ageism. He was a 19-year-old lay Hmong man who was doing yeah. way better than any of them, like converting hundreds <laughs> of people and they were getting like three. Um, and after they pulled him from the mission field and pulled him from this woman that he was planning to propose to, he was like, mm-hmm. fine, maybe I just won't even work for the church anymore. Maybe I'll just be a police officer. Like, I, I don't have to, like, there's a sullenness in him yeah. that I just love because it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, God's will be done. And like, if that's your reaction to things, praise the Lord. Like, that's awesome. And I'm super <laughs> right, happy right. for you. But it's also beautiful to see that that God can draw us through that sulkiness. And, and he mm-hmm. can, that we can continue can to be faithful that. even when our feelings aren't there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can find the discussion guide there. Um, and it, I don't know when this is going to air, but we've probably got one more Instagram Live that's going to that's gonna go up. But okay. you can also go back on my Instagram and Facebook and you can see 
the previous sessions where I was just sort of chatting about why I love these different saints. And what's your account on Instagram, your handle there? M Hunter Kilmer. Okay, great. And we'll have all of that linked up in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. Don't worry, folks, you can get all of the links and access Meg and all of her awesome saint stories that way. But also, if people want to invite you to speak, how can they do that? Should that be through your website or through Instagram? Yeah, so you can um, reach out to me through the contact form on my website or Instagram or Facebook, and then I I won't respond. Um, And then (laughs) you'll reach out again and then I'll respond and I'll say, when do you need to know by? Because that's the way that I can like check off having answered the email without actually having committed to anything. It's very complicated because I live out of a car. And so, you know, it's just dependent on timing. If you're on the West Coast, I'm coming out to the West Coast and I still have nice. gaps in my schedule and I only get out there like every every year or two. Um, okay. So California, Oregon, Seattle, I'm going to be there April, May, June. So definitely oh, nice. reach out if you're there. Otherwise, yeah, just be persistent. I will not be annoyed if you keep emailing me. Um, and please, <laughs> please be gracious because I'm basically working three full-time jobs and making one part-time salary. Um, so no, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I just, absolutely. I'm, I'm not great at this, but we are doing the best <laughs> we can and trying to let the Holy Spirit be in charge. And yes, and he's doing an amazing job through you, Meg. I want to thank you for coming on Girlfriends, but I want to thank you too for the important work that you're doing. You encourage and inspire me with all the unique ways that you say yes to God's plan for your unique call to holiness. It's so encouraging and inspiring to me. Thank you so much, Fred. It's such a gift to be here with you. I always have such a fun time chatting with you. And someday I got to get out to see you. Like yeah, real life in New person. Hampshire. Come on, girl. Let's go. I don't get Northeast. up to New England very often because, whew, Okay. but well. I'm, I'm going to be in Boston in October. So. Oh, it'll be beautiful like, in New England. I, okay. That's why I scheduled it. Reach out. All right. That's we'll great. <laughs> that sounds perfect. What a joy to always talk with you, Meg. And I want to thank you for being here with us for this segment of the show. We've got more of the show coming up for you, but first a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to the Girlfriends Podcast. Okay. Here's the gut check right here, because if nothing changes nothing changes. Do you want to be holy? And do you want to be an instrument of renewal in this world? And if so, do you believe it's possible? Do you know what it looks like? Do you know where to begin? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. My name is Father Mark Mary. I'm a Franciscan friar of the renewal. And I wrote a book called Habits for Holiness. And it pulls from over 800 years of Franciscan tradition, wisdom, and experience of radical and total discipleship in the midst of the world, but in a way which begins with little steps and works not only for religion, not only for priests, but for everybody. The change you desire is possible. The conversion you desire is possible. The renewal you desire is possible. The healing you desire is possible. And it begins with little steps. So to guide you on your way and to help you make the next best step of renewal in your life, I'd invite you to pick up a copy of my book, Habits for Holiness. God bless you. Welcome back. Okay, I've got a ton of voicemail. You guys, <laughs> I told you this is my love language and some of you listened and sent me voicemails or connected with me on Voxer and sent me a voicemail that way. I so appreciate it. So I've got a little bit of, um, I've got three different ones that I'm going to share with you here on very different topics. Um, first of all, I've got Laura who is sharing about Marquette Method. 
I know. We talked about this last week. We talked about this before. Talking about natural family planning, I am definitely going to put together that show of resources for natural family planning, um, maybe a little bit of a different take on it. But just collecting resources and encouragement and um, some ideas and just some different ways of educating yourself about it. And Laura has shared some really helpful tips for Ashley, who was the listener who reached out looking for resources for doing the Marquette Method on a budget because that tends to be one of the pricier methods because you do need the the monitor. You have to purchase a monitor and then you have to purchase the fertility sticks. So Laura had some interesting tips to share. So here's what she had to say. Hi, Danielle and Ashley. Um, I just wanted to reply to your question about the Marquette method. I've recently been learning how to use it and it's been wonderful. Um, they do use the Clear Blue Fertility Monitor and I would recommend trying to purchase this on eBay or have a look on some Facebook groups that are specifically for the Marquette method because I've seen people advertise them there secondhand. Um, <clears throat> the other way that you can save money on the Marquette method is to find an instructor who is themselves a student who's learning to become an instructor because they will usually teach you for free and they do have a qualified instructor who oversees them. And then the third tip that I've got for saving money on the Marquette method is something that we do here in Australia called the 20-day protocol. And you can ask your instructor about this. Um, it's where you test every second day instead of every day. And so it halves the cost of the market method over time. I hope this helps and I hope that you enjoy using the market method. I've really loved it and it's been really reliable and taken a big stress off my shoulders. God bless. Thank you so much for taking the time to share that, Laura. I hope, Ashley, you are listening and you are appreciating the fact that you've started this conversation that just won't quit. People love to share about natural family planning. So I love that you shared that, Laura, and that we're able to continue to have this conversation here on Girlfriends. Again, stay tuned because I'm going to do a whole episode on natural family planning sometime in the next few weeks here. Um, next up is another topic that we can't get enough of. Well, I can't get enough of laundry. Okay, we're talking about natural family planning. We're talking about laundry. So Maria sent in this fun little voicemail about some very simple tips and tricks that you might not have thought of that can help to make laundry go more smoothly for you. Here we go. Hi, Danielle. My name is Maria. I just wanted to say thank you so much for your podcast. I really appreciate all of the wisdom that you share. Um, and I really just love the adult conversation in my ear. It really brightens my week. Um, I particularly liked uh, the end of your last podcast where you talked about um, doing laundry. So I had a few items that have just been game changers for me that I wanted to share um, with you here. So these are physical things. They might not be possible for everyone at every stage or budget, but they're all pretty inexpensive tweaks um, that have made just a world of difference for me to make the details of doing laundry a little bit more enjoyable to make me that much more likely to get it done every day. So the first one was I realized that I was just wrestling with liquid detergent. So when you have a nursing baby on your body and then another toddler on your hip, um, managing liquid detergent is just like impossible. <laughs> so finding detergent that I could use easily and one-handed was a game changer. So whether that's a detergent pod or they make these dry detergent sheets now, they're kind of like a dryer sheet, but it's a detergent sheet and you can even tear them in half for small loads, um, but they have just been a lifesaver for me because they're just so much easier to manage. I also found that a big stumbling block for me was never having a basket where I needed one. 
So I'd have clean clothes coming out of the dryer or a special load from playing in the snow and no place to put it. So finally, I just got like a comically large stack of those stackable, cheap um, plastic laundry baskets. And I found just having an overabundance of baskets helps to take care of things even when laundry starts to get a little bit out of hand. Everything has an organized place to be as it's waiting for the washer or waiting for uh, to be put away in drawers. The final thing is about folding little kid clothes and I actually just gave up. So I don't fold clothes for my toddler or babies. Um, and so what I've done instead is I found these, they're like dressers, but it's not a full dresser, but they have multiple little tiny drawers. So they have like a ton of drawers, but they're all really small. And it's like a wire frame that just has these um, little fabric baskets in them for drawers. So they're pretty inexpensive. You could even do this with shoe boxes in like one of those hanging shoe organizers. It'll work the same way. But when you have many tiny little drawers, you can organize by like down to the tiniest category. So you can have one drawer for your toddler socks and one drawer for onesies and one drawer for tank tops and one drawer for t-shirts. Um, and everything has its own little place. And when you do this, you can even put a little picture of what's in that box um, on the front. So you can put a little picture of a t-shirt on the t-shirt box, and then even your two-year-old can match their t-shirt to the t-shirt box and just throw it in. <laughs> so we have foregone um, folding in favor of organizing, and it has worked really, really well, and everyone has been able to participate. So those are my little tips I just wanted to share. Um, I also do want to ask for your prayers. I am going for a medical test next week that will span a few days in the hospital. So a little bit nervous about that. Um, but I know with prayers, it will be just fine. And again, thank you so much for your podcast. I really love listening. Thank you, Maria. I really appreciate that. Those are those are simple tips, but actually life-changing sometimes. That's what I find. The laundry can feel so overwhelming. And that's, you know, that's why we're talking about laundry at all was a listener wrote in kind of feeling overwhelmed by the laundry. And I shared some of my ideas on ways to kind of tame the laundry beast in your home. And and I love that some of these simple things can make it more enjoyable, can make it simpler, can make it less burdensome. So thank you so much for sharing that, Maria. All right. Lastly, last voicemail that I want to share with you is on relationships. So we had um, Julia Hogan on a recent episode of Girlfriends, and she was talking about embracing your life and just embracing where you are. And Julia has such a very practical and encouraging way of sharing all that she does through writing um, on her Instagram and in our conversation here at Girlfriends. And I heard some listener feedback from Sally, who had this to share. Hi, Danielle. This is Sally. And I wanted to thank you for your podcast. I've been enjoying it for the past few months, but I was listening to your podcast with Julia Hogan, and uh, I especially enjoyed listening to that one. And I wanted to let you know that I, I plan to buy her book and gift it to my almost 25-year-old daughter, who's at that point in her life where it's frustrating. You know, she doesn't have a serious love interest. She knows she wants to be married with kids, but she's a very type A personality, has it all mapped out, What, how everything is supposed to go down and is frustrated when it doesn't go that way. So I think it'll be a great read for her and I hope she reads it. Anyway, thank you. And also thank you for having Voxer app. It's one of my favorite apps um, just to communicate with friends or family. It's so convenient, and um, I really appreciate you opening that up to the general public and allowing complete strangers to vox you. 
Anyway, I hope you're having a great evening and thanks for all you do. God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sally. I'll be keeping your daughter in prayer. That is such a challenging time of life to feel like God has a plan for you and not yet knowing what it is. I know many young people who are in that that stage of life, and it for sure can be a challenge. I'll be praying your daughter through exactly that. I want to thank everybody who sent in their voicemails. So, I, and I love that we we have all these different topics. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about laundry. We're talking about natural family planning. These are the kinds of things that we take on here at Girlfriends, and I'm honored to be a part of that conversation. And thank you for sending voicemail. It's so fun to have other people's voices here on the podcast rather than just me talking at you all the time. If you want to send a voicemail in, you can send it to me. Just record it on your phone and you can send it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com or send it to me on Voxer like Sally did. A lot of fun to connect on Voxer. If you don't know what Voxer is, it's this cool app and you can connect with your friends just sending voicemails to one another. And I find it's a really helpful way to stay in touch in a personal way that's different from text texting because you can say a lot more and you can hear a lot more in a person's tone and the way that they they talk to you in a voicemail. So anyway, Voxer's fun just for connecting with people, but you can also connect with girlfriends on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is always in the show notes over at ascensionpress.com. I would love to hear from you. But in the meantime, I just want to thank you for being here. It's always a joy to connect with you on the podcast here. I love that we get to spend this time together and talk about all of these important things, especially the laundry. I love it. (laughs) Thanks so much for being part of today's show. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 